0: All right, well, how many of you have relationships with people? You're awake? That's everybody? That's all of us? Okay, I think you're, I think you're awake. Um, we're going to do a series starting next week uh, called Collision Course. Uh, we understand that a lot of us are in conflict with people. Uh, so how do we do this well? how do we argue well, how do we live in conflict with one another, whether it's in our family or at work, and so next week we'll be kicking off a series called Collision, Collision Course, uh, but we're going to wrap up our, our series um, today called Creating a Better Story. I don't know if you know this about me, maybe you don't know me very well, uh, about my wife and I, uh, we have a little side project uh, called Bolt House Charm, and some of the things we do, we do some furniture, I build benches out of new 2x4s, I buy 2x4s, sand them, um, stain them, paint them, and build benches out of new material. Some of the things we do is we'll get some some furniture pieces that just need some paint. They just need my wife's touch. They just need a little bit of chalk paint, and they come out looking beautiful. But then sometimes some of you will call me, and you'll say, there's a free piece of furniture sitting on the side of the road. Uh, you, you should go get it. And so this is one of those pieces and uh, these pieces are a little different. These, these little, need a little more than just some, some chalk paint. I got it home and started messing with it and realized that the top is pretty, pretty bad, pretty beat up, pretty, pretty weathered. And so th- this, I don't know if this piece is going to work, right? Um, but, but we have this vision for what this piece could look like, right? With just a little bit of time, with a little bit of love, uh, we think that this piece could be transformed into something beautiful. Uh, something that has purpose, right? That's one of the things we love to do is to find things that people have forgotten about. That they want to throw away and they want to say, no, 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 there's nothing good left in, in that. That's one of the favorite things we love to do is to find those pieces and bring it back to life. As we think about this series, this series of creating a better story, uh, we've asked the difficult question, well, what story do you want? What story do you want to tell with your life? And today, we're going to look at this idea that for many of us, and actually for all of us, there's a transformation that has to take place. That in our lives, if we're going to get to the story that God wants for us, there is a transformation that has to take place. And you may feel like you're this piece of furniture that I talked about. That, man, that, that you feel like there's just no hope, that, that your life is what it is, that's what it's been, uh, whatever that looks like, that, that there is, your story is what it is, that nothing different could happen. And so what I want you to hear today is that there is hope, that you are still breathing, right? Week one, I had everyone take this deep breath and encourage you that, that your story's not over, that you are still breathing, and that is good news because God still wants to do something in your Life. So week one, we looked at this idea of, do you really know what you want? Do you really know the story that you want for your life? That's hard because often we think we know what we want, we get it, and we're not satisfied. It's really what, not what we want at all. And then week two, I, I had you envision your life at 80, right? Setting at a birthday party and people celebrating you, and what would they talk about? What would they say about your life? What are the character traits that you Why? And I looked at Romans 1, 7, this guy named Paul writes, I do not understand what I do. I just don't understand what I do. There's these things I don't want to do that I do and these things that I want to do with my life that I just can't do. And we looked at this idea of what's getting in the way of your story. What's keeping you from getting where you're wanting to go? I looked at this scripture and I encourage you not to be dragged away. To not be enticed by anything because when you do that, that is hindering you from what you ultimately want in your life, that the natural often keeps us from the ultimate, what God would want to do. And then last week, we kind of took it a step further, and I said, well, we're all going to end up in the same place. Every one of us at some point will take our last breath, and people will stand around us, and they will speak about us. We talked about our legacy, that people will either have good things to say or bad things to say or no things to say. So what do we do how, how do we get to a point where we live in such a way where people say and they loved god and they loved people and the character traits that come out of that that paul talked about this love and joy and peace and patience and kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control what would it look like for us to get to that point where we are walking so closely to god that there is this fruit that is produced in our lives that it was evident that we're followers of Jesus. What would that look like? What if that was our story? Collectively as a church, but as individuals. That they may not know what you did for a, life, for, for a living, how you made your money. They may not know any of that. And they would know one thing. They knew how they felt when they were with you. That they were loved. That there was a peace that came from you. And so week four, this, this last week, now what? How can we get this story that we really want, that God wants for us? I have this fear for many of us that we're going to miss it, right, because th- we live in this idea that there's always tomorrow, right? I'll make those changes tomorrow, I'll apologize tomorrow, I'll seek forgiveness tomorrow, I'll, I'll pursue that career tomorrow, right? there's always tomorrow, and my fear is that we're going to miss it, that we're going to waste it, whether it's our marriage or as parents. Like, I heard this week this, this analogy in this discussion of thinking about your future and This idea, dad specifically, it's just dads, uh, moms too, but but dad specifically. When your children are grown and no longer in your house, I think what you ultimately want is their respect. And what I mean by that is they want to be around you. When they have a problem, when they have a struggle, they want to come to dad. They still want to be with you and they no longer have to. i got a 12-year-old and a 7-year-old. They don't have an option, right? They, I tell them where they're going, when they're going. They don't have an option. But at some point, they will. And what am I doing today that is either going to hinder my kids from wanting to be with me? What am I doing today that is pouring into them that they are never going to want to do without? Right? So we, we have to see that the decisions we make today matter for our future. I don't know if you've ever seen this before. You may have seen one but didn't realize what it was called. It's called Newton's Cradle. Um, have you guys seen these before? You, you pull back the metal ball and you drop it and then what happens to the other one? Anybody know? Yeah, it goes the other way. I, and some of my science teachers, you're a lot smarter and you could talk about energy and the trans, transferring of energy. And, and I'll, just, I'll just say when I drop one, the other one moves, right? Something happens in the middle there. But this is what is kind of interesting about this. This will continue to go for quite some time. Not forever because friction's involved and it'll eventually slow down, but it will continue to go back and forth for quite some time until something changes it. Until I push a ball out of the middle, until I grab the ball. This is just going to continue to go. And so likewise with your life and with mine, our lives will really continue to look the same until we change. Until we make a decision to say, all right, God, I don't like that, or I want this to look different in my life or in my community, it will not happen until something changes. And this transformation is what can bring about change. And so, again, back to this piece of furniture, something's going to happen. There's going to have to be an outside energy, using the, the Newton's cradle and, and using this piece. Something's going to have to happen to this for it to be transformed. Transformed. And so you may come into this place feeling like life's not that extreme, like life is pretty good, marriage is good, job is good, you, f- you feel like everything's going well, but I would guess that for some of you who would fit into that category, you still might think, man, I just don't know if I'm doing what God has called me to do. I'm just missing something. And some of you, and I know not everyone in here would be a Christian, uh, may- maybe someone has invited you, maybe, maybe you've been coming for a long time, and, and you wouldn't necessarily say that you're a follower of Jesus. But, but for you too, I just wonder if there's something just, you just can't put your finger on it. Something is missing. And what I want to look at today is this idea that God wants to do something in our lives, that he wants to transform us. There's a guy named Paul, and you may think, "Man, hey, how you always tell us who Paul is. But the reason I do that is because Paul was a real person writing at a real time to a, to a real group of people. Paul isn't a fictional character who wrote some stories. But he is a guy whose life was transformed by an encounter with God. He was against Christians. He was killing Christians. He was persecuting Christians. And then something happened, and he now becomes a cheerleader for Christians. He's planting churches, and he's writing, and he's encouraging them. And, and we see that again here in Romans He's writing to a group of, of Christians in Rome, and it's Romans 12. If you don't have a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you one. There's one around you uh, somewhere. There's going to be a page number on the screen. That'll be for the scripture we're going to be looking at uh, today. And so we're going to look at Romans 12, starting in verse 1. And I'm going to stop at the first word, okay? 12, 1, verse word, Therefore. I don't know if you've ever walked up to a group of people talking, and you felt like you were late to the party. You were late to the story. Uh, everyone laughs, and you're confused. You you, you got the punchline, but you didn't get the backstory. Um, my my daughter's reading through a book series right now. There's seven books. Uh, she reads a little faster than me, and my son. Uh, we're on book two. She's on book seven. And when I take her in the mornings to school, she's so excited about what she's reading, and she tells me what's going on. And and in my mind, I'm like, I don't know who that character is. And I'm like, yeah, okay, that's, that's cool. That's, that's great that's happening. I'm confused the whole time. We get to this point in this story where Paul says, okay, therefore. And what Paul is about to do, he's going to say all 11 chapters before this. Everything Paul has spoken about, Paul talks about our sinful nature. Right in Romans 7, that's where we get the, I just don't understand what I do. But Paul also talks a lot about who God is talks about his grace, and he talks about his mercy. He talks about how God redeems us. He talks about purpose. And and in the midst of those 11 chapters, maybe you've never read it. Let me just ruin it for you. He basically says, God is good. God is good. Therefore, if God is good, therefore, if you believe all of those things, here is what your response is going to look like. If you read 11 chapters of Paul's writings and you hear that God is good, therefore, this is what you should do. He says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Now, this word urge is like grabbing someone by the shoulders of getting their attention, of fervently of trying to talk them into it of saying okay you've got to listen to me so so therefore hearing everything you've you've heard me say in 11 chapters I implore you I beg of you in view of God's mercy in view of God's mercy not in view of his wrath not in view of the fear of hell but in view of God's mercy let me just stop again I talked about this uh, last week and just said, I think your view of God will determine the view of your own life. What you think about God is going to determine determine what kind of story you think God is creating in you and in your life. If you think God is out to get you, then you live this life where you're always afraid of messing up. If you you live this life and you believe this, this kind of this gospel of Uh, Of of health and wellness and prosperity, then we live this idea of when things go wrong, what did I do? When things go wrong, we, we begin to wonder, well, what did I do that made God angry with me? God is punishing me. and we think that our actions lead God to do something or not to do something. And maybe we think God is just out there somewhere and he's not intimately involved in our lives. But if you believe that God is a good father, And in view of God's mercy towards us, his grace and his faithfulness towards us, then that changes how we live our lives. That changes the kind of story we think God could be creating in our lives. So Paul is the guy that tells us that it's because of his kindness that leads us to repentance. Right? It's God's kindness that leads us to a changed life. It's not fear It's not a threat of something bad happening. But it's purely the kindness of God that wants us, that leads us to change our lives. So Paul's saying, in light of everything I've told you, in in light of the 11 chapters I've already told you, I'm begging you, in view of who God is, to offer yourself, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Now, if we could be honest with one another, that sounds a little confusing. We're not necessarily the kind of people who are making sacrifices And so it feels odd to think, okay, he wants me to make a sacrifice. And if you know anything about sacrifices, something dies. Something dies when you make a sacrifice. And so when when he's writing this, he's writing it to a group of people who knew all about sacrifices. Whether they were Jewish or they knew the Roman culture and they had their Roman gods. Lots of people were making sacrifices. So this wasn't a new idea to those people. But what makes it radically different is this word living. Living. He is saying to them, no longer are you going to make sacrifices of other things on an altar. Your life now is a sacrifice to God. And not that you're going to die physically, but you are dying to yourself. You're dying to what you really want. You're dying to maybe what the future was going to look like for you. It's a moment-by-moment decision to die to ourselves. To submit ourselves to God and say, all of my life is yours. And understanding that it actually leads to life. That it actually leads to life. It leads to life to the fullest. And so our story is not simply the story that we want for ourselves. Our story is not simply about our own desires and what we think is best. But what we do is we say, all right, in view of who God is, that I could trust God with my life, that I'm gonna offer myself completely to him. Everything, my gifts and my talents, my marriage, my future, my kids, our community, we're gonna give all of that to you, God, and we're gonna trust you with it. And so our story really is about what does God wanna do in us and through us. And so if our story doesn't reflect that, If our story doesn't begin to reflect the ways of Jesus, we might be living the wrong story. And we haven't hit a point yet where our lives have been transformed. Where we've actually got to that point where we could say, All right, therefore, in view of who God is, I'm gonna offer myself completely over to him. And he says our body, this is this is interesting to me. I don't think any of these words that Paul uses is by accident. Uh, Paul uses the word body. And so it's not that Paul is simply saying, just have Christian thoughts. Uh, Paul is not saying, as long as you believe in God, as long as you believe Jesus is who he says he is. But, But Paul is saying, with your bodies. Our body is a response of what our spirit and our soul believes. Right, Whatever you really believe is going to come out in the way you live your life. Whatever you believe about God, whatever you believe about one another, whatever you believe about your neighbors, whatever you believe about things comes out in the way you live life. And so Paul is saying that you're going to offer your body, just not your beliefs, but your body. And so one of the things we say around here is loved people love people. Like the response of being loved by God, of understanding how God sees all people, the response of that is that we would love one another. And that we wouldn't give criteria or we wouldn't have certain groups where we say, yeah, I could love them. I don't know about them. But something begins to happen in our lives and we begin to live out what we actually believe about God. And when Paul says that when we begin to do this, that this is actually our spiritual act of worship. Now, for many of us, uh, worship, we have this mindset. When I say worship, it means music. It means to sing. So for many of us, worship means the twenty minutes that we just kind of put in on Sunday mornings. That's my my act of worship. I'm going to come and sing or lip sing if you're like me. Uh, but we we come in and we we do our thing and we we worship, but but here's the deal. We we are are, we're we're selling the idea of worship short. Worship is much more than just a couple of minutes of coming in and singing. The actual act of worship is to give our lives. That the logical way of worshiping is to give our lives. Not just some time, not just our voices, but our lives to surrender. A, A theologian said this, surrendering to God isn't unreasonable. Refusing to surrender is unreasonable. Now that statement only rings true if you really believe that God is good. If you really believe that God has something for you, then it's unreasonable for us not to surrender to this God. It is unreasonable for us to hold back anything in our lives. It's reasonable for us to surrender everything. Okay, so you might be thinking, all right, Paul, that's good. In view of God's mercy, I'm going to give my, my body, I'm going to give my life, I'm going to surrender, and this is going to be a spiritual act of worship. But how do we do that? You might be thinking, all right, Paul, well, what's the next step? And that's good. You asked so Romans 12, 2. It says this, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. All right, so he uses this word conformed. It really means to be pressed into a certain mold. Don't, don't be pressed into what the world tells you about things. Uh, don't, don't just do it because you're like, well, everyone thinks this way or everyone behaves this way, or everyone lives this way. No, Paul says, don't just conform to what everyone else is doing or what everyone else is saying. I say this often, and this is difficult sometimes for us to to hear, but I think one of the things that happens to us living in America is we begin to take on this American Christianity. Right, So, so... we might think, well, I don't conform to the world because I don't, I don't do those things or I don't look like those people or whatever that might be. But I think there is this danger of conforming to a, an American Christianity. And this is what I mean by that. Sometimes the things we elevate as Americans and as Christians in America don't always fit into the Gospels. The, the idea of power, the idea of comfort, or even of security, if you read the Gospels, those don't necessarily fit. But if you're like me, I I get in this mold sometimes where my Christianity is conformed into what we think as Americans. And so let me just urge you, let me grab you by the shoulders. We beg of you, come back to the Gospels. Come back to what Jesus says about living life and don't run that through the filter as hard as it may be. Don't just run it through the filter of being an American if you are an American here today. But you're living in America and it could quickly happen to you as well. But, but here what we have to fight against is we have to say, well, what does Jesus say? I don't want to conform to what our world says or a certain uh, group of people or a political party or even a certain pastor in a certain place. What does Jesus say? What, what kind of life does Jesus want me to live? And I don't want to conform to what anyone else says. I want to do what he has told me to do. And so he says, Paul says, don't conform. Don't be pressed into a certain mold, but be transformed. That This word, and I don't do this much, but I, I think this fits. The original language of this word is metamorpho, where we get metamorphosis. And so this idea that there's this transformation that takes place, that what was is no longer, that there is a change that happens. Uh, This is powerful. This is powerful because Paul is saying when you don't conform anymore and when you understand the mercies of God, there's a transformation that starts to take place. And let me give you some freedom here. This doesn't mean immediately. This doesn't mean in all things immediately. I think God can do that. He can miraculously change your heart and your mind and he can do that. But often it takes some time. It's, it's, It's moment by moment, as I said earlier, of surrendering some of those things that God begins to do some things in our lives. Paul is saying, "Don't, don't be pressed in, but be changed. In view of who God is, be transformed. Be different. So this is a process that we go through as followers of Jesus where we understand more who God is and then we try and become that way. But but just by trying doesn't always work, right? Just by willing it, just by working harder, we think our lives could look different, but that doesn't always work. So again, well, what do we do? How does that happen? And Paul says, he gives us the way, he says, by renewing our mind, by renewing our mind. We can't just simply change how we live, just change our behavior without changing our mind. As I said earlier, what you think will work its way out in how you live. What you think will work its way out in how you live and so we have to begin to see certain things in light of how God sees them so whether that's money how does God see money what is the importance of money is it a tool to be used for ourselves or is it meant to make a difference in other people's lives or power as we talked about what do we do with power because many of us have been given lots of power what do we do with power What do we do with our service? Whatever gifting God has given you, whatever tool you put in your hands, whatever that might be, if you begin to see things differently, you're going to see those tools differently as well. Or marriage, that marriage isn't simply about just getting what we want, that marriage isn't just about being happy, that marriage really is an opportunity to become more holy, to become more like Jesus, that marriage is an opportunity to give more than we get. But that doesn't happen naturally. That happens when God begins to renew our mind, or how we see our neighbors, how we see the poor and the immigrant and the powerless. How do we see people? That happens when our minds are renewed by God. Our old selves are changed into something new. So the old, what we've talked about, what's natural, that's what comes the easiest. It's now as we're transformed, it's what's ultimate. What is most valuable, we begin to to choose that. We... Instead of choosing what's now, we choose what's best later. Not what we have to do, but God, what do you want me to do? These are the transformations that take place when we renew our minds. When we ask God to begin to change how we we think about things. And then there's this result that happens where where people begin to see how we live life. And then people wonder, what what is it? What is it about them? I'm reading a book right now called A Community Called uh, Atonement. Um, Don't get caught in the title too much, but there's a story here about a, a young woman who's a nurse. And she talks about her role as a nurse, and she's an emergency room nurse, and she knows sometimes when she goes in, it's going to be the worst of days and what she's going to be put into. And so she talks about one day showing up, and she immediately gets there, and they've put a room on lockdown. And so she says, whenever that happens, it's, it's usually someone who is combative. It's, it's someone who's got a psy- psychiatric uh, need or concern. And so uh, they've locked it down. They've put bodyguards, basically, at the front doors to protect people and to protect the the patient and, and she gets there and they begin getting an assignment and no one wants the patient in that room. Nobody wants that guy. And they ask this woman, Dawn, would you please, would you please take this patient? Uh, that the, the patient had a problem with his feet and she describes them as mold encrusted feet that were swollen. And, and, and maybe you wouldn't sign up for that either. And, and this, this nurse, Dawn, says, yeah, I'd, I'd be happy. I just want to read. Can I just read to you for a second? It says this, as I waited with this man, the numbness of my business was interrupted by an overwhelming sadness. I watched him, restless and mumbling incoherently to himself through his scruff of a beard and mustache. His eyes were hidden behind his ratted, curly, shoulder-length mane. This poor shell of a man had no one to love him. I wondered about his past and what happened to bring him into this hopelessly empty place. No one in the ER that day really looked at him, and no one wanted to touch him. They wanted to ignore him and his broken life, but as much as I tried, I could not. I was drawn to him. The smirking security guards helped me walk into the shower. As we entered the shower room, I set out the shampoos, soaps, and towels like it was a five-star hotel. I felt in my heart that for at least ten minutes, this forgotten man would be treated as a king. I thought for those 10 minutes he would see the love of Jesus. I set down the foot sponge and decided that I would do the bedtime foot scrub by myself as soon as his shower was finished. I called the stockroom for two large basins and a chair. Part of the deal was the nurse manager said, You don't have to do anything to his feet, just give him a sponge and let him shower. When the man was finished in the shower, I pulled back the curtain and walked him to the throne of warmed blankets and the two basins set on the floor. As I knelt at his feet, my heart broke and stomach turned as I gently picked up his swollen, rotted feet. Most of his nails were black and curled over the top of his toes. The skin was rough, broken and oozing pus. Tears streamed down my face while my gloved hands tenderly sponged the brown soap over his wounded feet. The room was quiet, as the once mocking security guard started to help by handing me towels. As I patted the last foot dry, I looked up, and for the first time, this man's eyes looked into mine. For that moment, he was alert, aware, and weeping as he quietly said, Thank you. In that moment, I was the one seeing Jesus. He was there all along, right where he said he would be. Matthew 25, 35-40 says this, For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you in or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of these the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Now, anybody can do that. Anybody can do that. Even people who are not followers of Jesus can do that. But there is something different. There is a different motive behind why this woman did it. She did it because her heart had been transformed. Her mind had been renewed. She began to see people differently because she knows the mercy of God. She knows the grace of Jesus and her response, right? There's something about knowing that and believing that, but until it works its way out, we are not living the story that God would want for us. We are not living into the story God has for us. Paul ends Romans 12 too with this, then you will be able to test and approve God, what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's planned for your life, his way for you to, to do life. Sometimes we think of will as big, right? What, what school do I need to go? What, what job do I need to take? And those are all important. But if we understand the, the ultimate will of God is to love him and to love people. To love him and to love people. That works itself out in all kinds of different ways. And God can direct those paths and he can do things. But, but ultimately his desire for you and I is to see people the way that he does. So for your story, if you want the story God wants, if you want a better story, we begin to ask God to do that in our lives. We just ask God, God, would you change my mind? Whatever that might be. Change my mind in the way I see people, what I expect of people, what I think about our community, what I think about my past and my future. God, would you begin to renew my mind? Would you begin to transform my life? And in doing so, would you put me in places where I could love others That I could see Jesus in people. That they are created in the image of God. Every person created in the image of God. And when God has done something in our lives, it can't help but act itself out in our relationships. It works itself out in the way we see people and we treat people. So what do you want? What kind of story do you want for your life? What's keeping you from that story? Which of the characteristics of the Spirit in your life, what, what fruit is being produced. And ultimately, the way I believe that we get there is by asking God to transform us. We might be old in the sense of God is working on us. We might be old in the sense that we have our old life and we've made some decisions, but there is something new that can happen. Greg's going to come up and, and finish with uh, our, our song here at the, the end that we, uh, that we sing together in conclusion. Uh, we sing this as a way of concluding each message and each service to say, Lord, this is what I want for my life. Uh, God, would you give this to me? But I was telling someone the other day, I feel like these four weeks were really just one long sermon uh, that I broke up into four, right? This all fits together. This all fits together. And so as we stand here in a moment, some of you may want to hold out your hands as a way of just saying, yeah, God, that's what I want for my life. God, would you begin to create a story in me? Would you use my story to benefit and to help others. Would you renew me and transform me? Would you stand as I pray? We'll sing together. God, I'm so thankful that it's never too late. I'm so thankful that your grace doesn't run out on us, um, that that there is nothing that we could do to separate us from your love, that there's nothing. And so I pray for my friends who are here today. I, I pray pray that they would see you as a good father. They would see that you're merciful, Lord. They would see that you're full of grace. God, would for each one of us, would that do something in our lives? In light of who you are, Lord, would that change us? Would our lives reflect you? Would we love in such a way that people would see you? Would we treat people in such a way that they can't help but know that we're followers of you. Would you create the story that we're living out here at Trinity, Lord? Would this not be about any one of us, but about what you're doing in us and through us here in North County? Would you create a story in us where our our neighbor's lives are changed, the people that we work with are changed, Lord, not because of us, but because of you. This is what we want for our lives. This is what we're asking today for, God. Would you give that to us? We pray in Jesus' name.